Hey everyone, Heidi here. I just wanted to take a moment and thank you guys for listening. Um, this is our fifth episode and we've already had so much positive feedback and it really means so much to us. Um, if you haven't already, please share this show with your friends, your family. We work really hard on it and the guests we have are absolutely amazing. Um, so we really want it shared. We really just want everyone to know about the cool research that's going on. Um, Anne and I are really good friends with everyone who has guested on the show, and we're so proud of every single person who has been on the show. I mean, Anne and I always joke about how we would never guest on the show because it's too much work for us. <laughs> but luckily, we have some insanely smart friends who have done an amazing job to make this show what it is. The episode I am rudely interrupting right now um, features Kyle Jenks. Um, this is actually the second episode we ever recorded. So the audio is a little bit weird, but we were brand new to our recording setup and me pretending to be the amazing podcaster that I am not, um, didn't really have the right settings on our preamp, but whatever. Kyle still sounds amazing and he gives some really good information and he still has a really soothing voice, which is kind of hard to for a sleep episode, but whatever. He does an amazing job, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. But yeah, please share our show with your friends, download them on iTunes, and if you could, please write us a review. That would be really helpful. And a five-star review is even more helpful. I'll stop interrupting you now and let you get to the episode. Bye. That, like, you get if you go into dreams is you no longer know what's reality. An easy way to avoid that is make your dreams really weird. Why are you making your dreams the same as your reality? Like, if there's a little jellyfish flying around in the air, you know you're probably dreaming. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that would be an easy way to sort of mitigate the confusion. Welcome to Cinema Science, a podcast in which we interview professors, professionals, and graduate students using pop culture references as a talking point. We'll discuss the science behind your favorite movies, games, and TV shows. Each episode will feature a new topic and a guest who will answer questions from you guys, our lovely listeners. Uh, My name is Heidi, and I am joined by Anne. Hey, Anne. Hello. (laughs) And with us is our special guest, Kyle Jenks. Hey, Kyle. Hello. (laughs) So Kyle here is a neuroscience graduate student at the U, and he's here to talk with us about the movie Inception and dreaming, sleep, all the cool ways we can incept people or maybe not. Stay Mm -hmm. tuned. (laughs) (laughs) Spoilers. Don't spoil the plot. Yeah, spoilers. (laughs) Uh, So, Kyle, I guess, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you thought of the movie? Sure. I am a fifth-year graduate student at the University of Utah in the lab of Dr. Jason Shepard. My research focuses on the immediate early gene arc, which is involved in the elimination of synaptic inputs on neurons, which we think is important for developmental refinement of the cortex and hippocampus in terms of how they process information. And... I am a huge fan of the movie Inception. Um, Saw it when it came out in theaters. Loved the idea of the movie, but we'll get into a little bit of the neuroscience of the movie and if it's realistic or more just a thought exercise. Cool. Yeah, so in the movie, what exactly is Inception? What are they doing? So the idea of Inception in the movie is kind of the development of this technology that allows shared dreams and people to enter the dreams of others. And the main criminal, I guess, use of this technology in movies is to extract uh, information from someone's memory by going into their dream, finding that piece of memory in some physical representation, stealing it, and getting out without the person waking up and realizing what happened. 
Inception is something that most of the world in the movie believes is impossible, which is the reverse, implanting a new idea in someone's subconscious, but our protagonist, or maybe antagonist, Cobb, um, is one of the only people who's managed to incept and implant an idea. And through the movie, we kind of learn who that unfortunate first person was. Mm -hmm. But then also we follow kind of the criminal heist or reverse heist mm -hmm. of reverse implanting heist. a memory. I like that. <laughs> to, yeah, breaking into a bank and leaving something Giving there. Giving something yeah, to that's someone <laughs> instead of taking. <laughs> to implant an idea to um, get a large energy company broken up so it's no longer a threat to Saito's company. So in order to get Inception to work, obviously the characters have to be asleep, right? Yes. Getting into our topic, um, what exactly is sleep? And I know that's a big question, so let's just start with like maybe how is sleep defined? It's a very big question. It's actually something I was interested in um, looking at when I was preparing for this podcast of what is sleep, because it seems like such a big topic. And Webster is basically defines, defines sleep as kind of this lowered brain state and the muscles being inactive and a higher threshold of sensory stimuli, so meaning it requires more sensory stimuli to get a response. Mm -hmm. But from a lot of modern neuroscience, we know that's not true. And there are certain phases of sleep where brain activity is just as high as when you're awake. So sleep, I would define as a state of unconsciousness where your brain is not actively processing information from the outside world, but is processing information largely internally. I guess that kind of goes to, are there, so everyone sleeps, but are there any theories of why we sleep? So why would we spend so much of our day, or I guess our time, in this unconscious state? So that's also a, a really cool question, because when you consider just us nowadays living a nine to five kind of lifestyle with, you know, artificial light, it seems completely counterintuitive. Why, why would we need to sleep? Why can't I just wake up in the morning, go to work, come home, do the dishes, and then spend the rest of the night, you know, partying or playing video games Sounds or great. reading a book and then <laughs> just yeah. go back, to, go back to work the next morning. Why is that not, you know, it seems evolutionarily inadaptive or maladaptive mm -hmm. to have this sleep cycle. But um, one perspective that I think is probably the right perspective of why we sleep is to consider not humans nowadays, but humans and animals throughout history. Mostly for a diurnal species such as ourselves, being metabolically active at night is a complete waste of energy. Why do you want to be metabolically active at night when you're not seeking food, you're not seeking courtship, you're not doing any of these important biological processes because you can't see what you're doing? Mm -hmm. So it's energy efficient if our bodies become, um, it's, yeah, it's more energy efficient if we are asleep at night because we're using less energy overall hmm. and we can conserve energy to use it for important tasks. And you can even see that with plants. So plants during the day will enlarge their leaves, spread them to catch the sunlight. And then at night when there's no sunlight, those leaves will depress. You see the same thing with algae. Mm -hmm. Algae go to the surface during the day to absorb sunlight, but it would be dangerous for them to be in those upper levels at night. So at night when there's no sunlight, they sink back down. Huh. So our evolution hasn't taken into account our wanting to party all night yeah. and stay up. <laughs> no, evolution hasn't taken into uh, account the past 200 years. Yes. But, you know, maybe over a couple hundred of thousand years, if we can continue the way we are, we'll end up sleeping less and less. You had mentioned that our brains can still be, like they're still showing some sort of activity at night when they're sleeping. Yeah. Is this um, referring to stages of sleep? I know there's a lot of talk about like, you know, if you're in this stage of sleep, this is happening, and this stage is the perfect time to wake up. Can you describe those different stages and what's happening? Sure. And this kind of gets into, even though sleep isn't maybe as important nowadays, and I don't mean to imply though that there's, def there's no benefit 
to sleep and there's no reason that we sleep nowadays because sleep has evolved basically as this way to in mammals at least with our larger brains to help us process information and part of that is like you were saying the different phases of sleep so broadly there are two phases of sleep Um, you have non-REM sleep which kind of kicks on very early in the night and then REM sleep which is more common a more common brain state in the second half of the night non-REM sleep is what we also call slow wave sleep in which there are very slow oscillations going on in your brain Mm -hmm. and what this is thought to do is to allow the consolidation of explicit memories Mm -hmm. of events and occurrences that went on throughout your day and also to allow long-term storage of that information REM sleep is this high brainwave state which is thought to be important for kind of local consolidation in different areas of your brain and is involved in the consolidation of memories that are more emotional or procedural. So would you say this is one of the reasons, I know a lot of studies have shown that sleep deprivation impairs memory, so is this, I guess, does that relate to what the brain's actually doing while a person's sleeping usually? Yeah, it does. So there have been studies that have shown that after studying, sleep is very important and helps improve test scores the next day. So it's important for consolidation of those memories. And if you're awake over the same period, it you consolidate less of those memories and your performance is impaired. And also for long periods of sleep deprivation, you have anxiety, you have lowering of the immune system, you have all these negative repercussions going on from that. All right, so going back to the different stages of sleep, are there any um, thoughts on like when during those stages dreaming is happening? Is it tied to a specific stage of sleep? So dreaming in particular is known to be more common during REM sleep, although Mm -hmm. it can occur during slow wave sleep. And usually we wake up either at the end of a REM cycle or the middle of a REM cycle. And when we wake up in the middle of the REM cycle is when you're more likely to remember a dream that occurred. But dreams are interesting because... Unlike sleep, which we have a lot of ideas, or some at least solid ideas of why sleep might be necessary evolutionarily and also in terms of memory formation, Mm -hmm. why dreams are important is less clear, likely because it's hard to tell if Mm -hmm. a laboratory non-human subject is dreaming Mm because we can't ask them what their dream (laughs) was about. So a lot of our ideas are more hypothetical of what the role of sleep might be. So just speaking about dreaming a little more, I know some people claim they can control their dreams or what's, I guess, more scientifically known as lucid dreaming. Is that a real thing? Uh, Could you just talk about that a little bit? I would say lucid dreaming is a real, and to define it, lucid dreaming is when you're in a dream, you're aware that you're in a dream and you can exert, you're aware not only that you're in a dream, but you're aware there's a world outside of the dream. Okay and you're able to control certain aspects of the dream. And there have actually been experiments done in humans where you can teach someone to lucid dream more frequently, and you can actually get them to signal with eye blinks um, that they're aware and awake, and also the timing of their dream, which will be important for part of the concept of inception later. But from brain scans done in subjects lucid dreaming, there is this hypothesis that lucid dreaming is really just the subject being partially awakened out of REM sleep. And it's kind of hard to distinguish because REM sleep is kind of a high brain activity sleep state. So it's very similar to the awake state. Um, The only differences really are that in REM sleep you have this muscle paralysis and um, so you don't have control of your body. So it could be that lucid dreaming is just kind of a transitory, partially awake phase. Okay. You, so you can think when you wake up in the morning, your alarm goes off, there's kind of that weird phase mm-hmm. where you're kind of aware of your surroundings, but mm-hmm. you're still believing the stuff in the dream mm-hmm. or like it, the alarm works its way into your dream. So it's possible lucid dreaming is just a way of controlling that period. In Inception, to get the whole process started, 
to do the inception. The characters are sedated. Um, going back to your definition of sleep and dreaming, are they technically fitting that definition of sleep? And in those states, is there evidence of dreams happening when people are anesthetized? So I was trying to figure this out, this question out from the definitions they use in the movie. And if you remember when they go into the chemist shop, the chemist makes the point of saying he adds a sedative to the compound they use to induce inception, which kind of implies that they don't have a sedative in their normal compound. So that gets into a little bit of the distinction between an anesthetic and a sedative. And anesthetic, um, your surgeon may tell you, oh, this is something that gets you to sleep. But when surgeons are talking amongst themselves or anesthesiologists are talking, what an anesthetic really is, is something that forces someone into a state akin to a coma. It's not true sleep because you're completely unresponsive to all surrounding experiences, including pain. Where a sedative is something that increases drowsiness and is more realistic of sleep because it could put you into a natural sleep state. And it does that through act by acting, from my understanding, all sedatives act on the GABAergic system in your brain, which is a system involved in inhibiting other neurons. And we know from studies in humans and in animals that there are GABAergic populations all the way from the cortex to your brain stem mm -hmm. that are important in controlling different phases of sleep and in inducing you to fall asleep. So I would say if they are inducing sleep in inception, then of course it would be akin to normal sleep and dreaming. But if it's more akin to anesthetics and surgery, that would not be true sleep. So you sort of touched on this a little, but I just had like a follow-up question, I guess. So normally we don't just take a sedative to go to sleep. Everyone kind of has their own uh, time that they like to go to sleep. They start getting drowsy at a certain time. Could you just talk about how, just under normal circumstances, this happens, why we fall asleep at certain times? Yep. So the feeling of drowsiness and why we become tired at roughly the same time every day and wake up at the same time every day is a system known as your circadian cycle, which is a roughly 24-hour cycle of sleep and wake. And this is guided by a area of your brain in the hypothalamus known as the suprachiasmatic nucleus, suprachiasmatic nucleus, which regulates when we wake up, when we fall asleep, and is reset by the external stimulus of light to keep us entrained to a daily rhythm. So different genes and proteins will be upregulated when you need to wake up, and different sets of genes will be upregulated when you need to fall asleep. And there are other things such as adenosine, which is produced continuously throughout the waking day in your brain and slowly, slowly builds up and makes you more and more drowsy. And we actually fight that using something that we've probably all drinking, um, had a drink of today, which is coffee or soda. In general, anything containing caffeine, which inhibits that signaling pathway and allows us to stay awake for longer and not feel drowsy. But the actual process of falling asleep is a bit more interesting and distributed because you have these different populations of GABAergic neurons in your brainstem, including in the medulla and pons, which are sufficient to induce different stages of sleep. But from studies in humans, we know you can actually lose those different populations and still enter sleep, your sleep state will be altered, and you can even lose the suprachiasmatic nucleus and still fall asleep, but your sleep state will be altered. So it seems like the induction of sleep is more, from my understanding at least, we still think it's more a distributed process mm -hmm. over many different brain regions, but I'm certainly not an ex expert in that. Speaking of circadian rhythms, why is it that some animals sleep for the entire winter and hibernate, but humans haven't? 
done that because I wouldn't mind those taking animals a whole have winter. figured it out. I know. <laughs> I wouldn't mind being one of those. How can we hibernate? Yeah. It's the question. <laughs> <laughs> Which neurons do we need? Yeah. <laughs> what do I need to do to be a bear? Oh, yeah. Check into the right hospital, and I'm sure it'll take yeah. care of that for you. <laughs> hibernation um, ward. <laughs> yeah. So hibernation is, as you were saying, this very, very long period of something that's like sleep. But it's a bit different, um, and the, the definition is still kind of changing because bears used to not be considered an animal that hibernates because a part of hibernation, from my understanding, was your body temperature dropping to ambient temperature, which bears don't do, probably because they're so large where it's easier for like a chipmunk or something to drop its body temperature to ambient because of the surface area to volume ratio. Hibernation in general is metabolically efficient for animals that don't have access to food um, for long periods of time. So bears in the winter, different animals living in the desert, or even some animals that have like long reproductive cycles where they don't need to be awake. Hmm. So it's kind of an extension of sleep. Why do we sleep during the night because it's metabolically inefficient to spend all the night awake if you're not going to be able to find food. So these animals living in areas that go through seasons where you don't have access to food, it's metabolically efficient for bears to just eat as much as they can in the fall, live off those fat reserves all winter, and then wake up in the spring to gorge themselves again. Sounds like Whereas, <laughs> Repeated on a daily Minus, cycle for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but for humans, I think it's because we're omnivorous, which I mean bears are as well, but in the native areas we developed, we didn't have the need for that because we had access to food and water all year long, so we didn't evolve that ability. I've heard just stories, I guess, of people that instead of hibernating just don't sleep very often. They've gone, you know, days without sleep. Is there um, any, what happens when these people don't sleep? Like, what's the consequences of staying up for days and days? So for people like you and me, the consequence of staying up long periods of time are increased anxiety, poor memory, um, lowered immune system, eventually psychotic behavior. But throughout scientific research there's hasn't been a credible recorded case yet of someone dying from lack of sleep there are humans who have different sleep cycles there are people who have insomnia which is difficulty falling asleep which can be due to damage in some of those gabaritic populations that are important for regulating sleep stage and sleep requirement differs from person to person there are people who are night owls or people who are morning people which I don't understand. I think that's a myth, actually. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a myth, but there are people who are happy in the morning, hmm. so I don't know what that's about. Someone should study those people. But yeah, individual sleep requirements vary person to person, and that's just based on biological variability hmm. in these brain regions that regulate sleep and your circadian rhythms. And there are instances of brain damage that can change someone's sleep requirement and also antidepressants, which can affect the sleep cycle. So people on antidepressants actually have rest, less REM sleep, which is kind of that higher um, brain activity part of sleep, as we were talking about. That's thought to be important in certain types of synapse elimination and pruning unnecessary synaptic connections your brain might have made throughout the day. So that kind of argues, well, is REM sleep necessary for memory? And one of the theories is that antidepressants have effects on neuronal synapses and these forms of synaptic plasticity. So it might be that the antidepressants are compensating or having the same effect as REM sleep. So then your body requires less REM sleep. So maybe in some future, we'll all be able to take a pill in the morning and not have to sleep that night. Oh, well, then we could never incept people. So going back to the movie. <laughs> Most um, importantly, yeah. we incept. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if we could incept people, would we actually be able to manipulate decision-making? So that's kind of the goal of the movie is manipulate this guy's decision-making by implanting an idea. So 
if we couldn't set people, could you somehow affect behavior and decision-making? You certainly can affect hmm. behavior and decision-making, and we already know that from con- experiments where we control people's environments to change their decision-making. So if you go to a lot of restaurants, the color choices of those restaurants are worked out by psychologists who are trying to make you more hungry. Police have changed the lights in particularly bad areas of crime to blue lights, which are more calming, and reduce aggressive tendencies. So we live in a world that's constantly trying to modulate our behavior externally, but in terms of more complicated, can I implant an explicit idea of I want to break up my father's company. Uh, No. At the moment, there's Mm -hmm. no way of doing that. However, science has allowed us to do a similar thing in rodents, where in simple terms, what we do is we have an animal perform a behavior or go through an experience and mark the neurons in the brain that are active during that experience so that we can come back later and manipulate them. And this group of neurons that we've marked is called an engram. And as far as we understand it, these are the neurons that encode that particular memory or experience. Mm -hmm. And so what we can go back later and do is either inhibit those neurons or excite those neurons. And when we excite those neurons, we can make them recall the memory as read out by their behavior being similar to what they went through and they went through that experience, or we can inhibit it so that we can put them back in the same context and they show signs that they don't remember that experience. Mm -hmm. But the important difference from inception is that to do this at the moment in animals, we have to have them go through the experience first so that they can form the memory and we can remember and we can mark where that experience took place. So there's yet to be an experience where we can implant a memory that the animal never had. Hmm. So when um, Cobb and his crew are actually in the dreams and they go through multiple layers of dreams, they talk about time dilations and how... We must go deeper. We must go deeper. (laughs) We must slow it down so we have more time. Um, What what is some of the science behind these time dilations? Because I know when I'm in a dream, it feels like things happen a lot faster than... I wake up and it's just five minutes later. What What's mm-hmm. some of the reasoning behind that? So there are two answers to that. One dealing with dreams mm-hmm. and how time works in dreams. And one that's a bit more interesting, but also kind of less related to dreams, dealing with how memories are encoded and strengthened during sleep. So to answer the first question, does time in dreams proceed faster than time in real life? The answer is no. Your recollection of a dream moving faster is actually something that comes on later when you're thinking back to that dream, where it seemed like time was moving faster in the dream, but how we know it didn't is back to that lucid dreaming thing, where a scientist trained people to lucid dream and then asked them to blink count to 10, and then blink again in their dream. And the timing of the blinks was 10 seconds in the real world. And this has since been backed up. That was done very, very early on. That has since been backed up by more modern techniques such as MRI Mm. to look at time progression in dreams versus reality. So in the short answer, the time in dreams moves exactly the same as time in real life. It's just when you're recalling the dreams that it seems to have gone faster. The interesting part of memory formation, though, is work that was done by Bruce McNaughton and um, others, where they've shown that they can record from neurons in an animal's brain as they're performing a behavior, such as running in a maze. And there are cells in the brain that encode different places in that maze. And as an animal goes through the maze, it goes through the same places in the same order again and again. So you go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four in real time. And if the animal, if they record from the animals when they go to sleep after that experience, what you find is that you can record from those same neurons and they're going in the exact same order as the animal ran through the maze. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. But the interesting thing is they're firing five to 10 times faster 
in the animal's sleep than they are when the animal's actually running to the maze. So again and again and again. And what this is thought to be is the animal, maybe not consciously in a dream, but somehow recalling the experience it went through when it was awake to help the animal remember the maze the next day. Mm-hmm. And there have been experiences actually inhibiting recall or what they call replay mm-hmm. during sleep, and it actually negatively impacts the animal's performance if you stop that from happening. So it seems mm-hmm. to be important for consolidation of memories, making a memory go from being very labile and easily lost to this more long-term form of memory. So we love to troll the Yahoo questions website. So we found some inception related questions. I'm we sure you found wondering. a lot more than that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. This person was wondering, we sort of touched on this, but is there really a machine that puts you to sleep and makes you dream with friends like the ones used in inception? And then they say, after watching the movie, I got really interested in dreams and inception. I was wondering if this machine really exists. Please help me. Thank you. Well, I'm <laughs> so sorry. Help, Kyle. <laughs> I'm sorry, Yahoo question asker. There is no device that can allow you to share dreams and certainly not from you putting a needle in your forearm. <laughs> yeah. However, there are devices that have allowed people to share thoughts in very simple ways. What scientists have done is hooked up EEGs to a participant playing a game where they have to click the mouse at the right time and then transmitted that EEG signal over the internet of course and then use transcranial magnetic stimulation to stimulate the motor cortex I believe or the brain in general of another person who Mm. doesn't get the signal of when to click the mouse but by paying attention to the signals in their brain being transmitted from the other person they know when the other person has clicked the mouse and when they should click the mouse. So that's kind of the level we're at. (laughs) So we have a bit more work to do to share dreams, but we're at least showing that we can decode Mm. actions or thought and somehow transmit that to someone else's brain. Along the same lines, if this machine did exist, would you try Inception? And this person in particular said that if they sold the machine they use for Inception in stores today, I would throw away my PS3 and play like an hour a day. Would you do that? Well, first of all, get a PS4, son. (laughs) First critical error. (laughs) (laughs) First critical error. Or just build a gaming PC. But um, I would try it out. I would go in. I wouldn't try Inception. I wouldn't try to mess with anyone else's dreams. But I would, you know, go into a dream world and have fun. But the thought of being torn apart by someone else's subconscious and it strikes too close seeing what Cobb's gone through to schizophrenia and kind of losing track of reality that I would rather stick in the real world and have my actions help and improve the real world rather than just build an imaginary world that's going to disappear as soon as I wake up. Fair enough. And do you have any thoughts on that? I feel like I come out looking like the bad person now. <laughs> we talked about this for a second before, and I said I would definitely do it. You jumped on that. I was like, tell me when they've built this machine because I'm ready to sign up. I think it would be cool. Um, I think it would, like, you just have the opportunity to, like, build your own world, I guess. I don't know really what the rules of what you can and can't do when you're in this dream state, but it seems mm-hmm. pretty cool. And I think, like, going to the end of the movie, there's this huge question of, like, is Cobb dreaming or not at the, ver- at the very end? Because you don't know if his totem. Yeah, if his totem's going to fall or not. And I think the point was, was that he didn't care if he was dreaming or not. He had his family, which is what he wanted. He was happy. Yeah. So I feel like I could build a pretty dope life in the dream world <laughs> <laughs> and not care that much. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm not creative enough. I would oh. I would be that person where it's like, all You're right, like doing Kyle, your what have you created? <laughs> and it's just like a little Lego house. Uh, <laughs> just trying like your best. <laughs> a plain green lawn. Yeah. <laughs> get, get a participation trophy. And yeah. then there's 
Anne over in the corner who felt like, <laughs> like the entire mansion. set of Game of Thrones or yeah, something yeah. in the same period. I'm like world dictator and everyone's <laughs> like flying around in spaceships. There's golden retrievers flying around in spaceships. Yeah, like giant ones that I can like ride like horses. <laughs> <laughs> so. Wait, I want to join your dream now. <laughs> as long as you promise not to incept me. <laughs> I mean, what happens, happens. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right, so we have um, a question from Twitter here from one of our many listeners. This is from at Varklin, um, and he asks, is the story of Paul Kern, the Hungarian World War I soldier who didn't sleep for 40 years after being shot true? Are there other long-term sleepless people, and was Paul able to live a functional life without sleep? So the story of Paul Kearns says that by X-ray, his brain was completely normal. And that he basically went to work in the morning, came home, went out all night, and then went to work the next day. And that his doctor said that he was perfectly healthy and normal. The only primary literature I was able to find on Paul Kearns was a couple newspaper articles from different newspapers in the 1930s. Um, detailing basically the exact same information. Here's a guy, got shot, doesn't sleep. From reading responses from physicians, there was doubt even in the 1930s mm. that this story was true. Oh, okay. And I can find no follow-up information to say that this has any bearing in reality. So my feeling is more that this is an anecdote that got blown out of proportion, written up in some newspapers in the 1930s, and has now fully upgraded to myth. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you're saying, I shouldn't stay awake for 40 years, I should probably sleep at some point. You should probably sleep, and you probably have no choice in the matter. Yeah, you probably, <laughs> my brain will just shut down. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> you are <not>. done. <laughs> so when I was watching Inception, and we're going back to that question about like being sedated versus anesthetized. They are really active. Granted, they say it's while they're sleeping, it's like their own projection of themselves, but I don't know, in my mind, if your brain is that active while you're trying to sleep, are you really sleeping? Are they getting a good night's rest? <laughs> it sounds stressful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if any of them woke up feeling very rested. <laughs> yeah. um, and that also gets into one of the point of um, anesthesia versus the sedatives mm -hmm. because you can imagine if you were in a natural sleep and let's say a level down in a dream if that was a thing yeah and your van started tumbling down a hill mm -hmm. you might wake up yeah if you were in a natural sleep yeah so how they get around this in the movie is of course that He's created a sedative that affects everything but the inner ear. So all you can uh, feel is the kick. It's very targeted. That's right. Very targeted. Pharmacology in this movie is very interesting. Yeah, As I would like to get my hand on yeah, some of I'm their like <laughs> yeah on some of the compounds they're using. They just hook themselves up and then they're instantly yeah. all in the same dream too. I wonder yeah. how you share a subconscious experience of one person with a group of five or however many there were. You're going to have to find an alchemy shop and go into the basement and ask some questions. Yeah, that guy clearly was very advanced in his trade to be yeah. able to do that. Also, I love I love the shop with all like the colored compounds yeah, behind They're not labeled at all. <laughs> nope. That was awesome. The very mysterious like briefcase where they only shoot to it very quickly. So it's like, don't ask questions. This is, yeah. These are the chemicals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's definitely part of the suspension of disbelief in yeah. the movie. Also, how the briefcase is is in every dream layer. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And somehow, <laughs> somehow the dream of the briefcase works exactly the same as the right. briefcase in real life, hmm. which gets into one of the parts of Inception that you brought up earlier, and which is is Cobb. Is yeah. the reality in the movie actually just Cobb's dream? Mm -hmm. What do we think? Yeah. So, spoilers. You don't want to hear spoilers. You probably don't shouldn't be watching the podcast on Inception. Retrograde <laughs> um, spoilers. So there's a scene. So when Cobb tries out the sedative, when he wakes up, he goes to the bathroom and he's about to use mm. his, um, oh crap, it's called? His totem. His totem. 
but he gets interrupted mm-hmm. by Saito. Uh, and then he mm-hmm. never tests it again, from what I remember, the rest of the movie until the very end. Hmm. In my mind, I thought that could be a potential place where maybe he was still dreaming from that point where he tried out that sedative. So I'd, I'd go back even further oh, when yeah? he visits his father-in-law in France, which I, I think that is supposed to be his father-in-law. I think when the grandfather says, come back, Cobb, come back to reality, mm. oh. that that's kind of a sign that Cobb is dreaming and all the characters in the movie are his subconscious, mm. which can be might be a reason why a lot of them are so bland and fitting into very stereotyped roles i see like he i could see that. he is the chemist i see that's what he does yeah. and if your life i mean if his real life is that his wife is dead he can't reach his kids and he you know that would be a logical like okay i'll just go to sleep and escape. reimagine my escape yeah yeah, yeah. I could how would that. i fix this yeah maybe or Kyle, you had an ingenious plan of if Cobb really wanted to see his kids again, what would you do in this situation? <laughs> Just put them on a plane to France since obviously yeah. <laughs> he could get there. Probably the simplest solution. Yeah. <laughs> if you can't go to the United States, maybe just fly your family. There to seems you. to be easier methods. Yeah, <laughs> instead of Inception. But cinematically less interesting. Which is kind of getting into, (laughs) I recently rewatched the movie with my fiance and one of her issues with the movie is, why did they set up such a convoluted way of breaking up a company? (laughs) 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 Was was there no other way to like infiltrate the company and have a takeover? Clearly there needed to be multiple levels of Yes. Like action Dreams. scenes and lots we, of... We clearly needed to take the most complex route. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, I think they're arguing that this is the most, quote, positive way of doing it so that everyone feels good about so themselves. So they have a conscience about their... They have a conscience, About yeah. their inception. Well, I don't think Sato really cared. No, so, he just wanted to... I feel like apart, if that yeah. guy could have gotten away with just, like, having someone just shot by him. a sniper, he would have. <laughs> and he's really? so powerful, he, like, bought a whole airline. He bought a whole airline. Yeah, why like, How much more company? money do you need? Yeah. yeah. You're, like, spending so much money on this like right maybe just who cares if you have a competitor right or another issue i had was if you're in this dream world they're making up like the dumbest weapons like, <laughs> <laughs> let me just have little tiny guns right? instead of like massive tanks or like <laughs> on a giant tank yeah i just i, I think they like, need to go talk to some video game designers yeah, yeah. yeah. really cool weapons maybe get a gravity gun yeah <laughs> that'd be awesome <laughs> portal gun that'd be great yeah, why is there no like why is there no portal gun? Yeah, I guess if you had a role in the movie, which who would you be? Like would you be an architect or a chemist oh. or that guy that like turns into a girl for some reason? Oh the <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he has a full What's name. his name? Yeah, I forget what his role is, but it's like deception or something. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, forger actor. or something like that. Oh yeah. I think you're right, yeah. I don't know, I think I'd be an architect. No, I, I think mm. I'd be a forger. A forger. I'm pretty good at creating character stories, so I think okay, becoming the embodiment of something else would be a lot of fun in someone's dream. What about you, Kyle? I would be Arthur and just explain uh, the plot to yeah. everyone. <laughs> you would you be would, the person in charge would. of explaining what's going on. Be that annoying person in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you see ex- what just happened. He was necessary, though. I was he like, was. Thank you, Arthur. I was wondering the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about so. you, Anne? Um... I like the chemist guy just because I like the the idea of making up these crazy chemicals they can do. You'd be the pharmacologist, for yeah. Us. So I'm so I'm so boring. I'd have the same job. <laughs> <in> my, <laughs> my research is pharmacology related, so I would just do more interesting pharmacology. I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. So. That's what you're good at. Get at it. <laughs> it's my side project right now. Is yeah. <laughs> I like the for- inception. Yeah, I like the forger role because it's basically like LARPing. <laughs> you would just mm. be LARPing in someone's dream. That's live action role playing for all you non nerds out there. <laughs> limbo. Yeah, what could limbo be equivalent to? Like being in a coma almost? Yeah. Un- what did they call it? Unincorporated dream space? Yeah, something like that. So it's been filled with only people who've ever 
been to limbo is that it's a weird like i don't know i don't know if like i don't know if the idea is that there's one um like global limbo Mm -hmm. that everyone's in i imagine you still have to be in the dream with someone i imagine yeah if Cobb wasn't in that dream space then obviously limbo wouldn't be the remnants of his dream right is because specifically they went into his limbo his limbo yeah yeah and he went into saito's limbo because didn't when he yes. washed up on that yep. beach it was all Saito's. that was saito's creation. limbo yeah yeah and he was there because he had died in a in dream, dream while still heavily sedated yes because normally if you die in a dream you wake, you wake up. up but now that there's the addition of this sedation Yep. We drop into limbo. Drop into limbo. Unconstructed mm. dream space. <laughs> and so is Cobb... Why does Cobb and his wife go down? Why do they go to limbo? So from my understanding, they were basically researchers into uh. the dream technology. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to see how many dreams within a dream they could do. Mm. But by doing that, they eventually ended up in limbo because they went down far enough that that was all that remained so that's sort of the final you can only go down so many dreams until you reach the final stage of yep that's what the premise Hmm. of the movie seems to be Mm -hmm. yeah but also you could build anything on the first layer of dreams so my other question is why i get all the layers for the purpose of deception and I guess I would get going down different layers for the purpose of, like, time dilation. Yes. But that doesn't... It just seems like they're saying the more layers you go down, the more unstable it gets. And yes. It just seems unnecessary. But they also said <laughs> stronger the idea gets implanted. Right? Oh. Is that part of the reason okay. why I think, Okay. I think there's they're drawing a correlation between how many layers deep you are in the dream and how deep you are in what they're terming the subconscious mind Mm. which is supposed to be this idea of a more primal visceral mind and many psychologists would kind of define it as the drives and emotions that guide your behavior but that you might not be consciously aware of Mm -hmm. and what neuroscientists might more define as the brain stem kind of drives that regulate your body regulate mood regulate sleep all these very yeah. Basic things that humans have basically wrapped the cortex around mm-hmm. to, and we now try to understand as something outside ourselves right. when it's really a part of us. Right, that's true. So I guess if you wanted to implant an idea that seems like it's endogenous or deep-rooted in your own brain, you would want to go multiple layers deep because you'd want to go deeper and deeper yep. into the subconscious. And the point of the movie okay. too is you want to make it emotional. You don't want, mm. so mm-hmm. even in the movie they didn't want to implant an explicit idea of I want to break up my father's company. Yeah. The entire idea was to make him have an emotional reason to want to do that mm-hmm. which might be relating to what we were talking about earlier with slow wave sleep mm-hmm. being involved in the formation of explicit memories but REM sleep which is where we tend to dream is more involved in these emotional memories or these procedural muscle memories. Right. Hmm. And so, Kyle, if you had the power to incept people, I guess, A, would you do it? And B, to what end? Who would you incept if you could? Morally, would I do it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. There's no one I think I'd want to do that to. I'd rather they consciously and through their own volition come to the right decision which is of course the decision i want them to make of course um (laughs) but if you had to incept someone maybe members of congress to increase nih funding if you're listening yes members of congress please increase science funding please yeah so that we can make this technology for you exactly which we definitely wouldn't use to then incept for more money (laughs) (laughs) it's a vicious cycle of inception (laughs) scientists are just we have to keep improving inception technology (laughs) get more funding yeah nice what about you heidi give us money give us money (laughs) would i do it Hmm. that's a tough question so I just thought of something, and maybe this is a little too sci-fi, but there's a population of people that are in comas. We still don't fully understand what exactly is happening when someone is in a coma. And I'm wondering if, A, they're dreaming, and if you can enter their dream somehow and mm-hmm. communicate with them that way, that would be, cool. that could be interesting. 
that would be the honorable answer that I would give. But also, if I could incept my cats and give them the idea that they should not wake me up at <laughs> oh, I cussed. 5 a.m. in the morning, that would be fantastic, too. Do you think that would work, though? Like, no. if cats were like, yeah, they would... St- <laughs> Yeah, how would I insert that? Very strong-willed, an emotional response. There's no emotion there. (laughs) (laughs) Only hate. I like the coma idea. Sort of reminds me of like the San Junipero episode of Black Mirror. Oh yeah, Black Mirror. How they, it's kind of a similar. Yeah, that's true. But I like that. Mm. Well, good luck with your cats. (laughs) (laughs) Their inception. (laughs) What about you, Anne? Um. Yeah, why don't you just give us what your idea was before you heard what an altruistic idea Heidi had? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was trying to think of something that would have a positive effect on the world. But what I first went to is just to get like some super awesome job I'm unqualified for. So I would just like go be a professor at some massive university and they'd be like, you don't have your doctorate and you've accomplished nothing so far. And I would incept them into thinking that. I was still the best applicant, so please just let me skip ahead 10 years. You know what? I got a good good feeling about this one. (laughs) Clearly, I should be in a position of power (laughs) in education. (laughs) Let's hire this person that has no relevant work experience. (laughs) I don't know. It's a simple enough idea. If you suspend. Hire me. Yeah. Yeah. If you suspend critical thinking, yeah. Yeah, I mean, your dream levels could just be like, they walk in on one of your lectures and you're just so crushing it. Crushing it. Yeah. And your students are like, yes. Just talking about Wow. Talking about inception. Wow. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about our guests' research or the topics that were covered in today's episode, check out our website at cinemasciencepodcast.com. You can find us collectively on Twitter at cinemasciencast, and you can find Heidi at pandabumha. Anne doesn't have a Twitter, but her dog Hubble sure does. You can find him at Hubble Gibson. Our intro and outro music was composed by Kagan Breitenbach. You can find more information about him at our website, but also check out his personal website at kaganbreitenbach.com. The first season of Cinema Science was graciously funded by the University of Utah's Neuroscience Initiative. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Bye!